This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the tubes on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area, head over to the Underground Retrocade for that authentic arcade experience, where you'll be sure to find that one special game you remember best of all. And you'll look at it, and you'll step up to the controls, and you'll think, she's a beauty. And then it'll kick your butt, because these old games were hard, which is part of the fun at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. I'm Rob O'Hara. And I'm Quinn Dunkey. And I'm Jeff Salzman. And this is a very special episode of No Quarter. It might be No Quarter, but it's lots of people. And this is Arcade Draft 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh, we did it once before. We had fun. We're doing it again. And this time we're adding a, a wild Rob O'Hara into the mix. And he is very effective. So this should be fun. If you listen to the last version of these, you'll know that the rules are... Very few. And <laughs> what we're going to do is each of us go round robin and we're going to select arcade games that we're going to choose for our own, our very own fantasy arcade or team or what have you. And the only primary rule is once an arcade game is chosen by anybody, it is off the table and it and any variants of it are no longer allowed. Uh, Mike will be the arbiter of all rules, which means rules will be flexible and bribery is encouraged. And we have decided we are going to take this in order of length of name. Um, Jeffrey threw in the full name card and so moved himself down the list. But we will be beginning with Rob, not Robert, O'Hara. Um, so, Rob, what have you got for us to kick off arcade draft number two? What will be your first choice? Okay, well, my uh, my games, my uh, and, and you can try to figure out what my, my secret... Uh, the connection between all my games, the theme of my five games. But uh, the first one I have picked is 10 yard fight, uh, which is uh, released by Taito. I know uh, the pronunciation of Taito has been uh, <laughs> <laughs> hot contention on no quarter, but uh, the T's uh, are silent. <laughs> it's I O. <laughs> According to the uh, old PlayStation game, when you would turn it on, it would say Taito. So that that's the uh, pronunciation I go with. See, that's but. the kind of definitive answer we've needed. Why didn't any um, <laughs> listeners chime up and tell us that? People just leave what? us dangling. Uh, you could you could even just pronounce it like that each time. Just say Taito. Um, <laughs> but uh, Ten Yard Fight was released in 1984. It is a football game. It is a sports game, which I know is very popular in the uh, arcade collecting circles. That is very thick sarcasm. Uh, it is a one-player game uh, that uses a eight-way stick, and there are two buttons. And this is um, most arcade games I find don't. Like if they don't have the right amount of buttons, it's because they have too few. Um, like they like you know a button might do multiple actions, but this game has two buttons that really kind of do the same thing. Um, <laughs> one is for lateral passes, so you could pass sideways, and the other one is for passing forward. And you will almost always be running the direction you're passing. So there's really and actually. Um, the game has four buttons because it's uh, it's set up ambidextrous. So there's buttons on either side of the joystick uh, for lefties or righties. Um, so 
the thing about this game that I that I've always really enjoyed is that uh, it's not really a football game. I mean, it is football, but it doesn't play like football at all. It's really. Um, I don't know. It, it's an action game for sure, but you're you're basically fighting against a clock. There's a timer that's going down. You have 60 seconds to score, and if you don't score, the game is over. And you play each team twice. Uh, you know, for the first half of the game and the second half, and you're always on offense. Uh, if the other team intercepts you or something like that, you just get uh, a 20 yard penalty. You get moved back, and then you have to continue trying to score within within that time frame. And then if you beat high school, then you go to college, and then professional and then uh it just says super because i'm sure super bowl is copyrighted and they can't say super bowl so it just says super and then you'll you'll just play that team over and over but um this, I don't, there's something about this game that's it's really simple to kind of figure out you know but uh it, it's that timer that, that gets so crazy on this game where you just have to keep you know pushing forward you know and trying to figure out different ways to not get the ball intercepted there and there's some little tricks and stuff to it but it's just it's easy to play and but it, it is really fun despite being a football game now as a previous owner of many many um cabinets of shinobi did you ever have one or a dozen of these <laughs> uh i did not i have not owned this game um mostly because uh, it kind of falls into my category of it plays too perfectly in MAME. I mean, there's just a joystick and two buttons, you know. So I, I kind of got into that weird uh, esoteric world maybe of collecting games that had unique controls. Uh, and so there just didn't seem you know, to be much of a reason to own a dedicated cabinet of this. And also, uh, it, this was ported to um, the NES. This was one of the really early NES games, and it's almost arcade perfect. Uh, and then uh, it was released later. Uh, I think there's some Taito uh, compilations like for the PlayStation, PlayStation 2, things like that. And it's on all those things, too, and it plays perfect. So there's really not a reason to own it unless you just enjoy the game. Very nice. So Rob bucks the nerd trend and kicks us off with a sports game. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yard fight. Um, now let's throw it to the West Coast. Over to you, Quinn. All right. Well, Rob, you can never have too many Shinobis. O'Hara is a tough act to follow, <laughs> but I will do my best. So, ironically, I have actually also chosen a football game. Uh, I'm going to all do all football. <laughs> yeah, this is this is unexpected. I'm actually going to go ahead and announce my theme up front because no Ooh. one would ever guess it. I, I would guess it. No, you it's, wouldn't. It's football. Uh, I didn't say I'd guess it right. I just said I'd guess it, and turns out I was correct. I would. All right. Well, good, good story, bro. All right. So my theme is uh, games that I've played for free. Now, of course, this is uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when there was no legitimate way to play these games for free other than perhaps knifing the proprietor or some other you know, unscrupulous type of uh, activity. So Slugs. Sure. Yeah. Of course, nowadays, you know, we play these all for free. But uh, the first one on my list is Atari Football. And, of course, this does probably needs no introduction, but this is a two-player game from 1978. And I wonder, it's probably the first cocktail game because it was, you know, the cocktail style that I think everyone knows. And uh, it was kind of neat because it was just the X's and O's like you would see on a classic uh, football chalkboard. Uh, at least, I don't know if they still use those or what the, the men in the spandex that run around chasing the ball do these days. But uh, So the way that I played this for free, uh, I think we probably all had this experience where when you're really, really young and you don't really understand how these things work and you walk up to it and there's an attract mode and you just start playing with the control you're playing. 
this was the first game that I ever did that on. Uh, it was at a hotel in the Rocky Mountains uh, in uh, of Canada, up in Alberta, a small town called Radium uh, Hot Springs. And there was this hotel that was very fancy in 1970, I don't know, five or something, six when we were there. Or I guess it was a little later than that. And we actually, we went back to it once in the 90s just to see, and it hadn't changed at all. They hadn't actually even replaced the carpet, so it was less glamorous then. But uh, they had a little arcade in the bottom, and they had an Atari football down there. And so my sister would, and I would go down there, and we would spin the trackballs like crazy and have fun and not realize that we weren't actually playing the game. And one day there was this uh, adult gentleman in there, and he walked over and he said, you know, you have to put a quarter in that. And we just kind of looked at him blankly. And so he handed us a roll of quarters and said, here, and left. And then my sister and I played Atari football all day for free. And we finally understood what a video game actually was. So that was my first pick. Unbelievably, that was my backup. You you snagged my number six, so my yeah, emerging choice is gone. Oh, <laughs> so we were all going for Atari football. What I like about it is, as far as I can tell, I think it was the first Atari game to use a trackball, which is, makes it pretty exciting. Might be one of the first games at all to use a trackball. I mean, mm-hmm. seventy eight. I also think it, I think of it as the first true video sports game because Pong came first, and I'm not saying that Pong wasn't a tennis game. I'm saying that I don't think tennis is a sport. So <laughs> I argue that this is the first sports game. So there, send your hate mail to Mike. It's also, I think, probably the first game that I ever got physically hurt on because <laughs> once you got yes. those, those rollers going and you got yes. the finger right at that edge <laughs> and you would come home with a blister, you know, right there where it would pinch your Was finger. Was that your list, Rob? <laughs> games, <laughs> games that, games that, that made Rob cry. <laughs> That's totally. I, I totally pinched my hand in that trackball all the time. Yep. Ah, well, so that's that's the first um, stealing away from other people one of the list. Mm-hmm. My goodness, I'm playing to win. You are <laughs> indeed. Okay, Mike, what have you got for the honor of no quarter? What is your choice? <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll continue the um, the the nerdy sports theme <laughs> because we all love to talk about sports and watch them oh so much. Um, I picked track and field. This is a 1983 Olympic themed sports arcade game released by. Konami, Konami. We'll have another naming Kai controversy toe. here shortly. On <laughs> okay, and I, I, I was I was made aware of track and field because I had Microsoft's um, um, Olympic Games on the Apple II, and my father banned me from playing it because he was worried that I was going to crush the the arrow keys and. Um, because like as with track and field where you have to kind of pound the run buttons with with uh, the Apple II, you have to do the same thing only with a much more fragile arrow keys. And, and uh, so I was not allowed to play that, but I was allowed to play track and field. And uh, it was in color and the sound was better and everything about it was a better experience for me. So, Did you end up using the uh, pencil trick to slam the buttons? I did not learn about that until much later on. but uh, And I tried it and was terrible at it. So, no. The funny thing is that same guy who gave Quinn the quarter showed up and gave Mike the pencil. He has been through all of our paths <laughs> enabling He was us. actually trying to stab me with the pencil, and I took it from him. So. And and turns out that man was Jeff Salzman. Carrington. <laughs> <laughs> so, now uh, you know the rest of the story. <laughs> so, I better go change my name to something shorter next time. So, oh, why did people steal away your stuff? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that list number two has been scratched. Oh no! <laughs> that's why you got you got to show up with a few or um, open up a list of arcade games so you can uh, maybe call an audible on the fly. Um, so, Jeff, what are you going to pick for your first choice? You know, I'm going to stick with sports too. <laughs> <laughs> why not? I didn't intend to, but I will. I am going to pick Capcom Bowling. That's not a ball game that uh, people would bang around a lot, believe it or not. I mean, bowling's not sport. You, you don't live in the Northeast of the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> uh, one thing I liked about Capcom Bowling, even though I consider it a little later in my favorite era of gaming, is that it had some good bowling play. You, you did need some skill to roll that ball just right in order to get a strike or to pick up a, a, a spare. Um, plus, it had some of the, the, the fancy, like if you get a strike or spare, it had those fancy graphics that you know, praised your effort or told you that you sucked at the game. And I also found that even playing that game, it kind of paralleled my real bowling average. I can never get much more than maybe 120 in that game. And I found out later that um, when I was doing some work at an arcade that had one of those, that it actually had a risque graphics mode. It wasn't always turned on at the arcades, but it would be turned on, uh. like, say, at a bar or something. So the graphics would have, instead of, uh, you know, something fancy like a, a seal dancing with a ball balanced on its nose, it would have, like, uh, a buxom lady in in, um, in a swimsuit announcing that, you know, you got a strike or something like that. That's what they called Risque at the time in, in 1988. What did it have instead of bowling pins? <laughs> bowling pins. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very you know, risque, good. risque, not rude. <laughs> <laughs> Which Should brings us quickly. to rude brings us to my choice. <laughs> so, continuing with the theme, I am going to. Well, first of all, I'm going to break this whole sports thing. <laughs> that that's got to end now. <laughs> no sports for me. I am instead going to continue Jeff's choice of a slightly risque game, but I'm going to show you how it was done in the 70s. And for my first choice, I'm going to pick 1973's game by Atari called Gotcha. Now, a lot of people will know that Atari's first coin-op was Pong, and perhaps a slightly more difficult trivia question would be what would be their second coin-op, and that was Space Race. But what I'm going to pick for my choice is what I consider Atari's true third game, which was Gotcha. Now, technically, Gotcha would be, I think, their fourth because they made Pong doubles before this, but that was really just a variant of Pong, so I count this as Atari's third full new game. It was probably the first maze arcade game as well, but the reason I'm choosing it is because it was the first game with a real controversy about it. Yes, even well before Death Race. So according to one story, the idea for this game came about with a discussion inside Atari about the phallic shape of the joysticks. And why has it always got to be that way? So one employee suggested, well, why don't we do a female game? Now, six years later, the idea of doing a, you know, a so-called female game would be stick a bow on Pac-Man and we'll call it Miss Pac-Man. But here they meant literally, let's make a female cabinet. So instead of joysticks, the controls are round pink blobs with buttons on the top of them. Yes, oh, no. and there are two of those. Oh, and, no. you have, and you grab those, one each, to steer oh. your player through the game. Atari actually thought that this was a good idea, and this is what they put out. Um, it's a two-player game. It's essentially a chase game. One player represents, uh, or is represented by a block, so they're essentially, they're the pursuer, and player two is a plus sign, and that's the pursued, and basically the gameplay is that the block chases the plus through the maze, and there's this beep that gets louder and louder and faster as you get closer 
closer. When the block catches the plus, it starts over. It's a time-based game. It was not a hit, <laughs> but what it was was a controversy because these ridiculous controls. Um, and also because the ads, the ads were, they always showed this guy grabbing a scantily clad woman from behind. And while it was all smiles in the ad, it was really not a very subtle game or subtle marketing. And the whole thing was a complete flop. Um, Atari then retrofitted the cabinets. And if you see most of them today, if you find one, it generally has joysticks because they retrofitted these controllers into joysticks, even though internally Atari referred to it as the boob game. Um, absolutely unbelievable that they thought this was a good idea. And uh, there you go. So, and even the whole, let's change the boobs into joysticks now. There's got to be something to say about that, but I'm just going to move on. So, um, I must have this cabinet. <laughs> no, you must not. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture. This is incredible. Uh, isn't it crazy? So, oh um, and, and one last thing I guess I've noted about this is Atari also did produce a limited color, a limited run color version of this game with real color, like not colored cellophane overlays, but like actual color gameplay in an actual color monitor in 1973, which means it's one of the first true color video games. But I'm picking obviously the original black and white boob controller version of Gotcha <laughs> for my first choice. So there, sports have stopped and Carrington's bringing the level down. There you go. Gotcha. Um, so let's bring it back to Rob. Rob, what are you going to add as the second game in your imaginary arcade? Well, the second game I picked is one that I think you're expecting me to pick, and that is Atari's Cloak and Dagger. What uh, a shock. In fact, <laughs> I almost picked that for my first one. Just I was afraid. It. I know. I was afraid somebody might. But um, uh, it's an Atari game from 83. Um, as you guys probably know, it is uh, the movie. Cloak and Dagger is where a Jack Flack came from. Uh, and, of course, um, the movie uh, and the game were being developed independently, but uh, when each one found out about the other project, then in the movie, they mentioned that Jack Flack's secret name is Agent X, and in the game, Agent X, it is revealed that his real name is Jack Flack, and so they tied these things together. The movie also features the 5200 uh, version of Cloak & Dagger, which was never officially released, which has got to be one of the biggest marketing bad ideas of all time <laughs> to base your movie around an Atari game that you never release. Um, Cloak and Dagger is, uh, uses two eight-way sticks. Uh, in fact, it was released as a uh, upgrade kit for Robotron. So if you're familiar with how Robotron works, this is uh, pretty similar. There's a lot more going on in the levels. There are bombs. There are, in fact, uh, I watched uh, just a – I haven't played this in a while. The first time I actually played this was at Fun Spot. Uh, I didn't know – that this was an actual arcade cabinet for, you know, most of my life, <laughs> which is kind of funny uh, because I'm such a fan of the movie. But uh, uh, when I went to Fun Spot the first time I saw this, and there's so much going on that it's really um, kind of confusing in the first couple of times that you see it. Uh, but the goal is there are 33 levels, and so each level you get into an elevator. There's a little animation of, of Agent X going down to the next level. You go in, you shoot all these things, you set off uh, a reactor, and the goal is to get down to level 33, or you must defeat Dr. Boom, which someone must have spent half a second coming up with this name. <laughs> It's a guy that has bombs. They're like, how about Dr. Boom? Okay. <laughs> Next. Um, I, uh, this game is so hard because there's just so much going on, but I do enjoy it. Uh, it's definitely a game like, uh, karate champ. There's a few other games like that where you have to have, uh, you know, if you're going to play on MAME, you got to set up two analog sticks, you know? So, uh, there's a little bit of hoops if you're going to play it at home. Uh, I watched last night, the, uh, all-time high score, which is 1.4 million, and it takes 13 minutes 
uh, and that's to beat the entire game. And by the way, every time I play the game, I last about a minute and a half, and my score is six. Not not six million, <laughs> <laughs> just like six points somehow. Uh, so I'm I'm really terrible at this game. I wish I were better at it, but uh, it, it's really fun to play, and and it's I like the tie into the movie and everything else that goes with it. What I like about the game is when we reviewed it, I just checked my notes, uh, show number 81, my score was higher than Mike's. And that, you know, <laughs> makes it a good game. That's all I ask from a game. It's just to beat Mike. Is that um, your list? Yeah. <laughs> it would be a short list, actually. Um, so, Quinn, what, what are you going to select for uh, the next game that you've played for free? All right, so my number two choice is going to be short and sweet because I'm in a hurry to go add boob controllers to my main cabinet. Uh, I have to say, Carrington, when you started in on that story, I was envisioning something like the Dyson Airblade, you know, that hand dryer. Which is just... the worst urinal ever, eh? Jeez. <laughs> Pee goes everywhere. Imagine, I was trying to imagine what's a female controller, and my mind immediately went there. Anyway, there goes our family rating. Uh, my number two choice is an easy one. It's Joust, an 82 game by Williams, and the way that I played this one for free is that uh, so uh, my day job uh, is in software development, and for uh, 15 years or so, I was in uh, console game development, uh, AAA type of stuff, and I started on the Nintendo 64, and my first real job in that industry was at a game company up in Canada that had an arcade in the back of the office, and they had a Joust machine, so I got to play Joust for free, and it was the first time I'd ever seen an arcade game on free play, and my brain melted, and it was amazing, and I didn't last very long in the job, partly perhaps because I spent a lot of time in the back room playing Joust. That's a great game. That is one of the, one is. of the one of the classics. Love that game. It's like number two on my favorites list on my yeah. main cab. I still play it all the time. It holds up. Like no matter how often you play that game, it's just not a game you totally. get tired of. I think. Yeah. Totally. That wonderful game. Nice. Uh, so, Mike, what have you got for choice number two for the right. uh, mysterious McGinnis uh, Arcade? That's what I'm going to call Sickos it. Sickos and your boob controllers. I tell you. <laughs> Um, my my second choice is Gauntlet from 1985. Um, most of the most of the places that you read about online or that you read about it online will tell you that this is the first multiplayer dungeon crawl arcade game. I don't know how true that is, but you can choose the warrior, the wizard, the Valkyrie, or the elf. Each character has its own unique strengths and weaknesses, and I just like destroying my friend's food when we played as a group. So if somebody was down on points, I would intentionally go and shoot the food and things like that or open doors that I knew would, would just flood them and kill them. Wow, you were that guy? Really? I was that guy. Oh, and the reason I that I chose that. <laughs> the reason that I chose this game, um, the, the theme, my theme is, is uh, arcade games that have connections to Apple II games for me. So usually they're, I saw them on the Apple II first and then went and found them in the arcade. And almost universally, they were better in the arcade, of course, because of, just because of the graphics and sound and whatnot. Uh, there was a, a version of Gauntlet released for the Apple II. It was crap. Um, if you like that sort of uh, mechanic where you kind of got the top down and you're making your way through a maze and things are running running at you, I, I highly suggest Into the Eagle's Nest, uh, which was released in 1987 by uh, Pandora, I believe, and is a much better... It's, it's, a, uh, it's not the, the fantasy dungeon crawl, but it's you're you're invading Hitler's uh, eagle's nest during World War II, and but you get the same sort of thing where they they just the, the enemies just sort of run at you and explode and or shoot at you from a distance and and it's overwhelming odds and that sort of thing. It's never tell me the odds. <laughs> All right. Well, I will tell you that Gauntlet from 1985 was my second choice. Nice one. I like it. 
And I, you know what? I think about Gauntlet. I think you guys have talked about this on the show before too, but it's definitely a game that was different when you were in the arcade putting quarters into it than oh, yeah. when you're playing it at home on free play. I owned a Gauntlet 2 cabinet for a long time, and you know I tried to recreate that with your friends. And when it's on free play, it just becomes a thing of like, you know, who brought the most Advil? Because, <laughs> because you're, <laughs> just by the time your feet and your back are hurting, it's not fun anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So, But yeah, when you were a kid and you had – you know, $2 or whatever. And it was, how far can we get on, you know, this amount of money? Uh, and, and it's a hard thing to recreate at home, but man, was that a good game? I agree. I agree with all of that. Um, Jeff, what have you got for your second choice? You know, Mike's opponents need food badly. <laughs> they do, but Mike will shoot that food. <laughs> Don't shoot the food. Cause he's a big jerk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep us slightly derailed from the family rating. Uh, and that's not for gotcha my theme. Gotcha, too. It's not, <laughs> it's not for my theme. It's just for which one I'm going to pick next. I'm going to pick uh, Hubert because it has a knocker. It does. <laughs> so that's the second game that's chosen that has knockers. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Yeah. Sure. No, I, I just, Hubert's one of those games that I've always liked the theme. It's unique enough. It's fun play. It's got. A lot going on that that keeps you in the action, but it's also a game that I just never good at. You know, I could probably get to where I have to what what is it third level, fifth level, where you have to change colors twice. I'm good to about that point, but I don't feel like I wasted my quarter. But then again, I don't feel like I'm going to be sitting there the whole time on my quarter while everything else is going around me and my friends walk away. It's a good one. I was never I was never good at Cubert. It's that whole playing on an angle thing just messes up my brain. I do oh, like the yeah. knocker, though. You're right that that's a that's a really unique element to the cabinet when you fall in. Does that thump inside the cabinet? Like you, just, you don't get that in any other game, I think. And you don't hear it much anymore because a lot of people who have the machines don't bother replacing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually played a Cubert machine at the Arcade Expo last weekend, and I didn't even know there was a knocker in it because I had never heard it. Yeah, fine. We know you're cool, Quinn, because you went to the Arcade Expo, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> a game coming up on my list is a game that I was reminded of when I saw it in a photo at that Arcade Expo. But that is not the game I'm going to choose next for my, for my next choice. Instead, I'm going to, once again, try to snag away something that maybe you guys would want to select. And I'm going to pick the Bradley Trainer. So it's a 1981 game from Atari (laughs) that was all on everybody's list, of course. It was my third list. (laughs) Basically, this was was the military (laughs) version of Battlezone. So it's the same game, but uh, and the gameplay is very similar. uh, But what happened was at the end of the year in 1980, some U.S. Atari consultants approached Atari with an idea. And they said, how about turning Battlezone into a full-on combat simulator game that we can use to train people on the new Bradley fighting vehicle? And Atari said, sir, yes, sir. And off they went. Um, The programmer was Ed Rotberg, who also did the original Battlezone. And he did Gridley, which you probably know as the game now that ships with MAME. Um, Anyway, Rotberg was totally against making this game because he wanted to be an arcade maker, not a weapons designer, but Atari basically forced him into it, and he spent six months doing it, complaining the whole time. Now, you can tell at a glance that this isn't your basic battle zone, even though it's essentially the same game, just upgraded. But to start with, instead of using the dual joysticks that most of us are familiar with for most tank games, um, basically the same kind of controller that's used on the Star Wars cabinet later on, um, and it turns out that that's the kind of controller actually used in a tank. The whole time growing up as a kid, I always assumed tanks actually ran with those joysticks that you push back and forth and those control the treads. But nope, they actually use yokes like like in Star Wars. And um, another thing that's different is unlike normal Battlezone, 
This version has both friendly and hostile tanks. And helicopters also come in both friendly and enemy versions. And unlike normal Battle Zone, where your tank has just the one big cannon, in this version, you also get a machine gun, and you get a choice of two different kind of shells that you can load into your main turret, and you get a, a separate guided missile launcher, and you have a zoom view, so you can switch back and forth between two different views. So it's basically Battle Zone on steroids. And it's as much a training simulator as it is a game as well. In fact, unlike regular Battle Zone, in this version, the enemy tanks don't even fire at you. The whole point of the game is to to just pick off the enemies, but to differentiate between friendly and enemy targets. So the you lose if you shoot a friendly target. So it gets really frantic. But the the goal of the game is just don't kill something you're not supposed to kill. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm going to pick: Battle Zone on steroids, the Bradley Trainer from 1981. So there. So all army <laughs> tanks were faceted like that in real life, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say yes. Like I've been in a lot of tanks. Is <laughs> that available? <laughs> Is that available on MAME? Do you know? Has that ever been released? Or I do not know. Um, hmm. I only know it as a as a thing I've read about and seen videos of the gameplay and discussion. But I've I haven't actually played it on MAME, and I haven't actually seen a cabinet. I've seen bits of the cabinet. I, the first time I heard about this was when on YouTube there was somebody discussing changing um, his battle zone cabinet to use a yoke controller and then eventually built out a whole you know tank simulator that he sit inside that to play regular battle zone and then he was discussing how the yoke controller he was using was from a bradley trainer and then i was like well what the heck is that and then it turns out there's this other version of battle zone out there so that's what i am choosing for my second choice um so let's throw it back to you rob what are you going to pick for uh, number three Okay, I'm actually going to shuffle my order around here because of your last pick, and I'm going to go with Ace, uh, which is a two-player black-and-white dogfighting game, uh, which was released in 1976 by Alloyed Leisure Industries. Uh, And the reason I just bumped it up is because you actually do control it with um, two tank sticks, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Each player uh, has two analog sticks, and so it's a a two-player game. Uh, and I, the thing I like about this game is I remember when, like when you first got your Atari 2600 and it came with combat and you played it for a little bit and then you were like, this is the most boring game ever, but I have revisited combat and I love that game now because it's so simplified. It's just you and one other person and you drive your tank around and you know, a game that as kids we thought had no strategy, no, you know, all of a sudden it, you know, you can, you could really, it's a lot more fun, I think as an adult than it was as a kid. And I think the same thing about this game. I mean, there is nothing on the screen. There are two biplanes and you fly around and you shoot each other. That's all it is. And, and there's a score and there's a very simple animation of an explosion cloud when you shoot each other. But uh, once you start playing it, you, you know, you come up with all these little techniques like, oh, if I, if I curve this way or that way, or I circle around and, and like I said, it's so simplistic. I was looking at old flying games. Four years later, you get um, Red Baron, which, uh, you know, another tie to Battlezone. It's an Atari game. It's 3D vector uh, type graphics. It's way, way, way more advanced than this was. But um, so it's a game that's it's really simple looking, you know, but once you start playing it and especially in, in a two player thing, uh, it's just a lot of fun. That is awesome. That is a great choice. I love those type of games. And mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Atari's Combat 2600. Absolutely. I liked it back then. I just could never get anybody to play with me. <laughs> My sister was like, nope, boring. Um, I liked it then. I like it now. And good choice. Good choice, Rob. 
Uh, so, Quinn, what are you going to pick for your third game that you have? Uh, what's your theme? Games you've played for free. What's number games three? That, games I play for free, yeah. So, my third choice is Mortal Kombat 2, which is, of course, a midway game from 93. And I played this game in university. It, uh, it was sort of my... Uh, reintroduction to arcades uh, right before they went away again. Uh, I had not been to arcades for quite a while and, uh, you know, the tail end of the 80s there when they kind of died. And in university, we had one on campus. So I uh, one day wandered in there and didn't recognize a single thing. Uh, what I thought was an arcade was gone. Instead, there was a row upon row of Street Fighter II machines and uh, Matt Mania and Mortal Kombat and Rage and every other game that was a fighting game that was nothing I recognized. So uh, fighting games had taken over the arcades and, of course, also rescued them, I guess. But uh, So I didn't know what to do for a while, and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to learn one of these games, and I'm going to try to have some fun. So I tried to pick one that nobody else was really playing much uh, because then I would have some time on it. And I wouldn't have to deal with getting my ass handed to me by uh, people that had been playing for a long time. So the Street Fighter machines were all out because those were all, uh, everybody was already good at those. So I chose Mortal Kombat 2, which was new at the time and just come out. And uh, people weren't drawn to it for some reason. And so this was the very early days of uh, public internet access. So I got on Gopher and I found text files that had all of the special moves and I learned them all. And I spent ridiculous amounts of money getting good at them and i got got to the point where i think i was the best player in this arcade at that game and uh people saw me playing it and would were kind of drawn over and uh and people would play me and it was one of those things where uh i for a little while brief window of time i was that person who would just stand on the left side and everybody else would line up on the right and walk <laughs> away a loser and i would just play for hours everybody else would have to walk up and challenge and lose and uh so yeah for a very brief window of time i was in the whole fighting game uh, culture there was all this etiquette you know you had to let the second person you had to let the other person win the second round and uh, all this stuff so uh yeah that uh, that's my number two choice i played it for a long long time for free although i suppose if you did the math uh kind of like people do with casinos they forget all the times they lost uh, and all the money i spent getting good at this game i don't know if i actually came out ahead but uh, i felt like i played it for a long time for free nice i was never good at it <laughs> yeah point- Quinn wins by default for referencing Gopher, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so Mike, what are you going to pick for your third choice? Well, first, uh, note to self, never play Quinn at Mortal Kombat 2. <laughs> Not for money, anyway. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, next, you all are wrong for not already having chosen this. Um, so I will be correct in choosing Choplifter, which was a, a game that was released in the arcades in uh, 1985 by Sega. Um, and it it has a distinction of, I don't think it was unique, but it was certainly one of the rare instances where the game was programmed on the home computer first and then uh, ported over to the arcade rather than the other way around. Uh, the original, of course, was programmed by Dan Gorlin in 1982 and by uh, Broderbund Software, and they licensed it to Sega, who snarkily put on their homepage on the, on the splash screen in, in a track mode, reprogrammed by Sega, because apparently... Um, it wasn't good enough to port it or anything else. <laughs> um, the arcade version, of course, is so. If you had an Apple II, um, there's this 
unique, I think, shared experience with this platform and gaming where when you're playing a game, part of the fun is sort of in the back of your mind, sort of trying to envision what it would look like with really good graphics and what it would sound like with great sound. And Choplifter was one of those games where you actually got to experience that because the gameplay was pretty pretty close uh, to the original, but it featured digitized music and speech and the POWs that you were going to rescue would shout, don't leave if you tried to fly off, and they would scream when they died, and uh, that was a really great game. I actually, I never knew that was an arc that was ported back to the arcade. That, you just sort of uh, melted my brain a little there. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find that in MIME, I think. <laughs> I like the Apple playing. II version better. Yeah, I'm going to try playing it with the boob controllers, see how that well, goes. <laughs> well, Those are appropriate controllers for all games, of course. Definitely a new experience. And the, um, the, the, the thing about playing it on the arcade version, it, at least for me, it was much harder at first because I was used to playing uh, on the joystick on, on the Apple II and switching over to the, to the Sega cabinet had a different feel to it. So I died a whole lot early on, but I, I enjoyed the sort of upgraded, like, realization of my imagination of what Choplifter should have been so much that it didn't bother me that much. Nice. So, Jeff, we turn to you for your third choice to add to Bowling and Cubert. What will be number three? Now, I'm going to have to come up with a new list sometime for all backported games ported from uh, <laughs> console to arcade. You, you know, uh, Iridium for the Commodore 64 would have been a great game backported to arcade. Mm. Um, that, that I would like to see, but unfortunately that hasn't been made, so it's not on my list. Uh, my next one, I'm going to go simple. Um, Atari Asteroids. We seem to have a lot of Atari ones in this episode here. Um, I'm picking Atari Asteroids simply because I liked it. It was, it was simple, but complex enough, you know, kind of like Hubert. And, um, it was just a fun game. It was also a quarter muncher for a lot of people, especially me, since, I couldn't get past like maybe the second screen before I get all my ships blown out. And but it was a game that I played a lot as a kid. My my parents would go bowling every Friday night. Yes, they would do sporting Mike. Um, and Asteroids was one of those early games that would be in the gaming area of the bowling alley. And I would just sit there and watch other pe- people play the game because I had no money. And um, there were times that I got to play this for free myself. You know, kind of like what. Uh, Quinhead, where people would rack up five, six, seven, or more spaceships left, or they're actually bowling and playing this game at the same time. So they would play this game, go uh, roll their ball, then come back again, or something would come up and they'd say, Here, kid, play the rest of these. And, you know, I would finish out five ships in about 30 seconds. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very good. Very good choice. Great choice. I like asteroids. Yeah, it's a classic, total classic. Um, yeah, one of those games where the, the, sport. <laughs> the world high score is something where it's like multiple days, like somebody played for 70 hours or something. It wasn't me who did that. No, I played for like 45 <laughs> seconds. I apparently just give people quarters to play games for free. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds right. <laughs> you travel in time and distribute quarters and change lives. I, I think that was one of the those games where they figured out early on that, that you could just sit at the bottom of the screen with like one uh, asteroid left and shoot the ship as it passed over and just run the score up that way. And you could oh. also like walk away, go to the bathroom, get a drink, come back. Oh. And you, you were really in not much danger because the, the one remaining asteroid followed the same pattern because you didn't shoot it and knock it into a different pattern. Oh, of course. Yeah. Huh. That never occurred to me as a kid. I just mostly died. 
Yeah, all those marathon scores that you see, they, they only exist on games where there's some way to effectively pause the gameplay. Because, yeah, these, these people aren't doing this, you know, for 70 hours without going to the bathroom and eating and sleeping. <laughs> well, the <laughs> so guy they... who just got the huge thing on armor attack, though, it's just that on that game, you can get so many free plays that he'll rack up tons and then take right. like half an hour nap and just let himself die and die and die and then wake up yeah, in time to start that's, again. That's a common strategy yeah, as well. I think that's also the way that it's done in Missile Command. I think there's a way, you, yeah, you get so many extra cities or whatever that, yeah, you can spend 20 minutes letting them explode and go to have a nap or whatever. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Um, so for my next choice, I'm actually going to borrow from Quinn's theme, and I'm going to be selecting game a game that perhaps she once played for free, because I'm going to pick the game Subs by a 1979 Atari game, another Atari game, although that is not my theme. Um, I'm pretty sure that Subs was the first multi-monitor coin-op arcade game, and I spotted one of them in a photo from the Arcade Expo that Quinn recently attended. So, Quinn, did you end up playing Subs while you were there? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I don't think I saw it. Aha! Uh-huh. Well, then you missed out because, well, it's a two-player game, though, so you'd have to grab somebody else and get them to coin up twice. Um right. So it's it's a oh, cabinet where the front it, yes. of it's almost like on an angle, and so there's two monitors, and it's a two-player game, one person per monitor on either side of the cabinet. It's kind of like the Battle Back one I chose last time. I like a I like a weird two-player cabinet. One of you got to get inside. Sorry, Charlie Style. So, but as the name implies, this is a sub-battle, and by making it a two-monitor game, that means the gameplay is such that each player can't see the opponent. So you're playing the same game, but you are literally invisible to your opponent, and instead you have to use your radar to locate the opponent's sub to try to sink it. So it's very simple gameplay, but it's a really fun competitive two-player game with a really unusual cabinet. And um, in addition to, I think, probably being the first dual monitor coin-op, it was definitely the first game where the operator could choose to select between the cabinet is running in a timer mode or in a credit mode. And so lots of early games from the 70s were timer-based. You put in a quarter, you get so much time to play. And most later games were credit-based because then you keep buying credits and the games go on forever. And this is the game, this two-monitor game, faces in two directions and also basically straddles those two eras. So I really sort of like the metaphor of this game mostly. And so that's why I'm picking it. 1979 uh, Subs by Atari um, that Quinn had a chance to play for free but didn't so is it like battle battleship is that kind well, of no it's more that like there's a sub battle and you are dropping little depth charges to try to destroy the sub that your opponent's on the opponent's screen but you're looking on your screen and you're dropping depth charges to try to figure out where the sub is on the screen you can't see and the other player is doing the same thing at the same time mm-hmm. and you see these like little radar pings it'll say okay it's kind of over here it's okay i'm gonna drop my depth charges there it's does not this, a great game. It's just a really cool cabinet. <laughs> and I like the fact that it sits between eras. <laughs> does this really have steering wheels on it? It Yes, because that's sort of how you move. It looks like a driving <laughs> game. It's kind of, a, it's, you know, they're kind of making up this cab as they went. <laughs> so it's an odd like, Sorry, Charlie. Yeah, they, <laughs> yes. they tore down a bunch of those Night Driver ones and just used the steering it's wheels. Duct tape. <laughs> Basically, yes, it looks like a dual Night Driver, but it's a sub game. It's, it's an odd thing. So that's what I'm picking for, for my, my third game. Um, so we bring it back around to begin the penultimate round with uh, Rob's fourth choice. Rob, what have you got for us? I have picked a game that most of you have probably never seen. It is a uh, like a isometric platformer. It is Alice in Wonderland. Uh, it is also that's the American name. It actually it is more uh, it was more well known in Japan as and it's 
M-A-R-C-H-E-N. I don't know if that's Marchin or Markin Maze. Um, it's a one-player game. You have two buttons, uh, shoot, jump. Um, it's a really, really cute game. Uh, the graphics are very cute, and it's a uh, it's an isometric. So you have that kind of you know diagonal uh, view platform game, and you are on a um, rise. You're on a level that's raised up above the ground below, and it almost looks like Marble Madness in a way because you're on this grid running around. Um, and then the, of course the, the level that's below you scrolls at a different, uh, speed. So you kind of get that, uh, parallax effect, but it has, it's very cartoony. It has very cute music. And like I said, very, um, you know, cartoony type graphics. You have all the characters from Alice in Wonderland. Um, I don't know. It's just very, very fun. It's, I've never seen one in real life. Uh, I found this, uh, through like a, one of those MAME clubs where people, you know, play different MAME games or whatever. And, um, I just kind of fell in love with it. It's, it's really fun, like I said. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I, my favorite genre was always platform games. And this just kind of seemed like the next level of platform games and i thought this is where arcade games were going and then like uh, quinn said you turn around and all of a sudden everything was 3d and fighting games and stuff and and so these kind of games stopped so this is uh pretty close to the end of that this is a namco from uh, 1988 i've never even heard of this game before there's a lot of YouTube videos, and uh, like I said, you may have to, uh, if you're searching for it, you want to look for the, the Markin Maze version, mm. because that, that seems to be a lot more popular than Alice in Wonderland, and sometimes the videos... It looks really fun. It's, like I said, there's a, once you get to the later levels, you know, at the very beginning, you, you're Alice, and, and like I said, there's power-ups where you get the white rabbit and, and things like that, um, but there's a lot of jumping involved later and, and almost like little kind of mini mazes that you have to go through, so it does build as you go further in the game, but, uh, and, and it's one really easy, you throw it up in MAME, and, uh, and it plays really well, so. Nice, good, good, obscure choice. That was not going to be my next choice. No, nice one. I like it. Um, Nice. Yeah. Okay, Quinn, uh, back to you. Fourth game that you've played for free. What is up next? Yeah, well, let me start by saying I'm definitely going to check that out. I love isometric uh, art styles, so Mm -hmm. uh, I will play any game with that theme. Uh, So I'm going to check that out in MAME. And also Carrington playing subs at Arcade Expo would not have counted as playing for free because they were all set on free play. So that's not in the spirit of my list. So neener, neener, neener. That's actually a good point. QED. All right. Uh, The fourth game on my list of games that I played for free is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, of course, is I'm sure everybody's familiar with this game. Uh, Konami 1989 has the unusual distinction of being a game by a Japanese developer that was released in the U.S. before Japan. It was actually released in Japan a year later. Uh, but uh, so this it was a game I played in junior high school, and there was an arcade uh, within walking distance of our of our junior high. Always a good business decision. And uh, we would go over there, and it was new at the time, and we absolutely loved it. I mean, this was you know one of the I think one of the earlier uh, of the sort of what we now call beat 'em ups, or what I prefer the much funnier fight and go right style of game. And uh, if I could only have one of those games, it would probably be this one. And you probably only need one because honestly, they're all the same. But uh, this is one that we played so much, and we loved it so much that. Uh, we didn't have enough money to play it as much as we wanted to play it. So uh, being uh, the ruffians that we were in our youth, we had heard that you could drill a hole in a quarter and 
put a piece of dental floss on this quarter and stick it in the coin slot. And if you did it just right, you could pull the coin back out after it had been registered by the game, but before it was grabbed and dropped into the coin box. So we tried this, and it does, in fact, work on some games. Uh, there, are, there are some games where they have some sort of uh, mechanism to prevent this exact thing, but uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ga- Turtles game at our local arcade uh, did not have that security feature. So we played a few games uh, for free that way, and unfortunately it did stop working eventually. If you didn't do it just right, uh, the coin would drop too low into the mechanism and you could no longer pull it out. And one day that happened and there was no way to get it back out. So we hurriedly left the arcade with the string hanging out of the coin (laughs) slot, uh, feigning ignorance of how that might have happened. And uh, the next, uh, of course, the next day we went back uh, because we couldn't stay away. And the arcade owner gave us some dirty looks, but never said anything about it. So that's my number four. Nice. My, my local, my local retro <laughs> arcade has that game. My daughter loves it. She's a big turtles fan. And that getting yourself a string. Turtles. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't do me any good <laughs> because it's one of those pay for an hour. <laughs> Everything's on free play. Isn't, isn't it funny? how like, I think right now, like if I saw five bucks blowing down the street, I would not chase it. I would be like, oh, well, there it goes. But when you're a kid, the things I, I remember it, but... being on my hands and knees looking under machines in hopes that someone had dropped a token, you know, or like Quinn said, with drilling the hole through that, like the, the links we would go to for a quarter, you know, it's funny. Oh, yeah. The uh, pay phones. I got Ooh. a quarter, not a dime. <laughs> nice. Okay, Mike, um, we've got Track and Field, we've got Gauntlet, we've got Choplifter. What is the next of these games that you associate with the Apple II first? I was still thinking about Quinn's Choice, and, and because, like she said, all of these games are pretty much the same. They just have different skins. Um, I, I think, f- for me, it kind of goes back and forth between Ninja Turtles and The Simpsons, as far as, like, if I had to buy one of these fight-and-go-right multiplayer beat em up games. That's, mm, depends on the day of the week. My um, the kid down the street from me when I was growing up, he's like three houses down, had his father had this machine press thing. And they, he found that if you bought the right, bought these, these metal sheets in, in the right thickness, <clears throat> in the right thickness, you could stamp out quarter shaped slugs. And so he would come over every couple of weeks with this bags and bags of these, these slugs. And, and we would go down to the arcade. It took the arcade owner about, about a week to figure out what we were doing. And and he grabbed us both and took us back in the back office and threatened to call the cops and this and that and our parents. And of course, you know, I think I was, I don't know, 10 or 11. So we were terrified. And, uh, and then he went and <laughs> called all the other uh, arcade owners in the area and told them about us. So we went to another place and tried it. And that guy was waiting for us. <laughs> I said, no, no, you guys get out of here now or I'll call the cops. It was a, There was, it was a, a sign t- up with your face on it. <laughs> the <Right>. slug games <laughs> on the loose. Yeah, it was a terrifying <laughs> experience. But um yeah, that was uh, looking back. It was kind of silly now, but um, so my next choice, I talked about um, I talked about Choplifter and be, uh, being an Apple II game that was ported to the arcade rather than the other way around. This is another Apple II game that was ported to the arcade, and unlike Choplifter, the the port turned out to be a really great thing. This game sort of went the other direction. It's also um, a Broderbund game. This one by Doug Smith, uh, recently passed away, uh, was Load Runner, and, and Load Runner was one of my all-time favorite, still is, Apple II games. I played uh, played the uh, played for many many hours, played the whole game, the original game through, got my butt kicked on Championship Load Runner. 
Then uh, a few years later, uh, this was uh, ported by IRAM to the arcade, and I went there and tried to play it, and it was awful. We talked about this on No Quarter number 48, and it was still just as awful as I remember it. <laughs> yeah, I love the original, though. The classic. A, yeah, mm, on yeah. the Apple II, it's, it's an amazing game. Yeah, totally. Yeah, per- perfect game. Um, Do not yeah, play the it in the arcade. <laughs> No, I agree. <laughs> so Mike's Mike's first, fourth game is a game he recommends you do not play. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jeff, what are you going to select for your penultimate game? Well, I am going to go off the same isometric idea that Rob had, and I'm going to pick Zaxxon. I'm waiting for the buzzer just in case that was picked before. <laughs> Zaxxon, although with all the other games that's on my list, uh, it's not the same theme as I like to play it, but I was never good at it. Um, it just, for me, it broke grounds. You know, watching, you know, gameplay at that angle, and then, oh, you have a flight stick that, that's here, so that's different from a regular joystick and buttons. I know Tron had the, the flight stick type thing, too. I think that came out about the same time, but... Um, I just like Zaxxon because the gameplay was fun. The the angles and having to line up the shadow just right and your your um I guess your laser just right in order to go between walls and underneath uh barriers and and hitting everything that's coming at you and try not to pull up underneath a ship that's flying by or a missile that's that's coming around. A lot of action, a lot of fun. Um, there is a reason why I picked this, although it's not necessarily my favorite game. There are things I appreciate about it, and yeah, it's one of those ones. If I see it, I'll, I'll play it again. I just like the busyness of it, but that's I not like the look of it. But I was terrible at it. Yeah, I I could never get to the the final. Is is the Zaxxon character the thing you actually reach at the end where you have to blow up its missile seven or eight times? Yeah, the robot guy. Yeah, at the end, yeah. I, I never could get that far. I could barely get to the second level platform um or at least get past it uh but it's still one of those games like like hubert i'll go back to it but still it's not my theme but it's oh, right you my, don't know what your theme is yet it's, it's on my list yeah. oh it's you, still a secret one I, I got you on the last one about my theme we'll see you weren't expecting oh yeah that. yeah no your theme totally yes um was the uh championship games from um uh Star Star Cade, Cade, right? Right? yeah, yeah. Oh. Yep. That was great. Yeah. yeah, that was a good yeah. theme. It was a good I think theme. I had theme, not guessed it. I think your theme is themes that have games that have a secret theme that you're not going to tell us about. <laughs> he got it. Okay, I'm going to second now. I think his his spoiler. His, maybe it's games that I beat Mike at because my score checking it showed him forty seven slightly higher in Zaxxon than yours. Both of us apparently <laughs> stink uh, at enough. the game though. <laughs> well, maybe I never played that game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, whatever Jeff, whatever Jeff's theme is, it's better than Carrington's, which is always stupid games from the seventies that nobody's heard of. <laughs> no, that that sounds like my theme controllers. so far, and so far the fonts hear that. So far, I have all been Atari games, um, but I'll give you a hint: that's not my theme. Even though my next choice is also a nineteen seventies Atari game, um, we have had Gauntlet so far chosen. We've had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so I'm going to jump on the four-player bandwagon. But I'm going to select Cops. Robbers, even though I'm offended by the fact that it's just an apostrophe and should have another apostrophe in there. So it's a 1976 game by Atari. Not 
a particularly well-known one, but it is indeed a four-player simultaneous game from the 1976, which is super fun, and you can actually play anywhere from one to four people at once. It's one of the first, if not the first, four-player upright game, so it is the spiritual beginning of things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, etc., other than it is in no way a beat-em-up game. Uh, there were lots of earlier four-player cocktail cabs, obviously, like pawn games and things. But this is one of the first four-player uprights. And one neat thing is the game is designed for two even teams. It's cops versus robbers. And you have to have an even number of people playing. So if you put in one quarter and you play one player, the computer will take over and player be player two. If you have two players, the computer will keep adding people so you always have an even number. So if it's two, you play each other. If you have three people, it'll play a fourth. And so there's always going to be an even number of people. So you have half the people on the left, half the people on the right. And the basic idea is that it's a top-down view of a pair of roads and the cops are driving on one side and the robbers are driving on the other. And so naturally you're going to shoot back and forth. So it's just one of those drive and shooting games trying to knock each other's cars out if for some reason your pistol is big enough to blow up a whole car and a beer truck goes up and down in the middle to basically block you and act as a means of cover and add some strategy to the game um it's another one of those black and white games on my list here but it uses a color overlay on the later edition but interestingly the first models of this that came out didn't have the cover over color overlay and then it was just you know starting with number 100 or whatever, they started adding that on. So it's kind of weird that they did that. So it added some color to it. Um, The cabinet is worth noting because unlike most four-player games, like Gauntlet, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, etc., where you've got a normal cabinet with a wide control panel, they hadn't come up with that idea yet. So they figured, well, if we need four people, we better make just a super wide cabinet. So the whole thing is super wide. And so you got four players can stand beside each other on this four, four and a half foot wide cabinet and each player gets a controller and down below each player has its own pedal. And so the pedal controls your car and um, the cabinet has big fun side art and a massive double size bezel around the monitor because it's so wide. In fact, the, the, it's a cabinet that was produced with two different bezels. You had your choice of bezel when you, when you bought the game, which is kind of neat and different. And the joysticks are basically pistol handles that you use to aim and fire. And, and it's a two-way control scheme just up and down but instead of being an analog controller, they click into seven specific positions um, rather than being free-moving. So that limits your angles for fire. Those are the, the positions you can the angle on. and that, So that adds more to the strategy. You can only shoot in certain angles. So I am selecting 1976 by Atari Cops and Robbers as my four-player stand-up game. I found a neat fact about this game as you were talking. I thought you would, <laughs> I thought you would bring it up because uh, you were talking about the beer truck part of it. But I guess that was I, – I never seen the game before. But in looking for a cabinet or something, I found this website called The Cutting Room Floor that talks about the Cops and Robbers arcade game called The Classic Shootout Between Good, Evil, and Beer Truck. It says... The cutting room floor basically says has a list of things that were omitted from something, whether it's video games, I guess, movies and stuff too. But according to this game, there is an unused car. It says a small car is present in the same graphics ROM as the beer truck. Presumably, these cars would travel to the left and right of the truck, moving at slower or faster speeds than said truck. It might have absorbed the player's shots like the beer truck does. However, there's no code anywhere in the game to move or even display these cars. Oh, interesting. Hello. Nice. I love that site. That site always finds hidden little bits in the code and unused sprites and stuff. I love that site. It's now in my bookmarks. Now, is this the same game as the uh, – is this the arcade version of the Apple II Cops and Robbers, which used the more correct ampersand between Cops and Robbers but spelled Cops with a T? Uh, no. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, and that's why I'm stealing it from your theme. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not using that. I was just wondering. <laughs> okay. So that is that is Change my, my fourth choice. So we all get one more choice to add to our, our themes, our arcades, our teams, however you want to play it. Rob, you get to choose your last first. So what will be your fifth and final choice? All right. Well, my last choice is uh, a Neo Geo game uh, called King of the Monsters. It was uh, released in 1991. So I know that's on the uh, the upper threshold of what you guys cover on No Quarter. Uh, it's a two-player game. Each person has a joystick and three buttons, one for punching, one for kicking, and one for jumping. And um, you control a monster. So this this game, to me, is kind of the epitome of that genre. I think everybody uh, on the show today has ties back to 8-bit um, computers, whether, uh, you know, Apple, Commodore, whatever. Uh, I remember playing Crush, Crumble, and Chomp. Uh, from epics and movie monster game from epics and um, mail order monsters and rampage which were all these types of games where you got to control you know whether it was godzilla or king kong or whoever and and most of these games it would be a uh, uh you know a closely resembled large monster <laughs> with a slightly <laughs> changed name to avoid any copyright issues. Um, but uh, so this is basically like the ultimate version of that. Uh, you fight, uh, you know, in two player, you fight another person and one player, you just fight, you know, the, the CPU uh, and you can pick any of these monsters. And of course it takes place, uh, it's another isometric uh, kind of looking game and, and you're on a play field, which is a city. So as you're walking around, you're stomping on houses and things and you can pick up uh, like cars and things like that and use different things as weapons. So it, it's just kind of like the ultimate version of all those games. It's, it's really a, a fighting game, like a, a wrestling type of game. Uh, and one of the things I really like about it is um, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of pixel artwork you know i just i love that style and this is kind of like the epitome of that before we start getting into digitized graphics and things like you know quinn um, mentioned mortal Kombat, where where you go away from the artwork and now you have people you know that are actually scanned in like you have actors and things like that um and uh as i've gone in and tried to do that type of artwork before you know a pixel at a time you just realize uh how much talent it took people that aren't me because I I'm terrible at it. I mean, I can't draw anything in that style. And so they're just, everything is really big and brightly colored, you know? So I, I just really like the, the artwork on it. And, and then, like I said, you know, being able to smash up cities and, and punch other monsters in the face is kind of a bonus. It is a bonus. <laughs> Yeah, plus one for pixel art. I'm a huge fan of it too. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially yeah, the kind of the late eight bit, early sixteen bit era where they st- were starting to have a fair number of colors. But yeah, and like everything was always outlined in black, so you could see it on the background. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just I love that. I can't get enough of that. Yeah, I cannot figure out if you had a theme. <laughs> I'm looking at your games. We'll talk about it at the end. But man, if you have a theme here, it is. I have no idea. <laughs> You're going to love it. You're going to love okay, it. Okay. <laughs> Quinn, on the other hand, has told us her theme, so I was able to figure it out after she, she told me. <laughs> so um, what will be your fifth choice for a game that you've played for actual free? 
Yes, well, thank you, Carrington. Uh, <laughs> my my uh, final choice on games I've played for free is Super Sprint. This is an Atari game from 86, and I think it was the first game I ever saw that used the spinner style of steering wheel controllers, you know, instead of uh, the sort of more realistic uh, style with, you know, 180 degrees or 270 degrees of motion or whatever. And uh, at the time, I was kind of a driving game snob, if such a thing could exist in the 80s, uh, with the likes of OutRun and Hard Driving and so on. And uh, yeah, this thing uh, I thought was silly at the time until I played it, and it was amazing. And uh, so this was in the same arcade where I had played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in junior high school for free. And uh, I'm sure this arcade owner still, to this day, uh, rues the day that me and my idiot friends walked in there. But uh so I was uh, shuffling around the arcade, kind of sad. I was low on money and looking for one or two last things to play. And I walked up to the Super Sprint machine, which I'd never played, and it uh, had a credit on it. So I uh, gave it a whirl and had some fun. And uh, I died. And after I died, there was still a credit on it. So uh, the game wasn't set to free play. It just it had credit, uh, but it still had a credit on it. So there was this moment where like the, the clouds parted and the sun shone down and there was harps and... There was something I realized there was something wrong with this machine where it wasn't deducting the credit. So I played that machine for, I'd say, the better part of three or four hours that day. I blew off all my afternoon classes and just played Super Sprint until my hands were bleeding. And uh, once again, I'm sure the arcade owner was not thrilled. But uh, yeah, to this day, Super Sprint is a favorite of mine for that reason. I think most people know the later uh, game Off-Road, but uh, Super Sprint to me was, was was the magic. I love Super Sprint. Awesome. If my kids told me they missed an afternoon of school because they found a game <laughs> that was on free play, I would be like, high, high five. You know what I mean? I would totally be, I would be like, that's, uh, yeah, I endorse that. <laughs> I was going to say, you'd be against that? Nope, no, nope, you're for it. Okay, yeah. we, we agree. That's parenting done right there. That's what that is. Super Sprint's great because it's it's a great three-player cabinet. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I love the, the three steering wheels. It's so iconic. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I don't think my parents ever found out about that. I, they would not have high-fived me. Uh, well, they're fans of the show, so they know now. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. And uh, and pro tip, actually, something I learned that very day, uh, there's a collision bug in Super Sprint where, you know, there's the two overpasses, and if you hit the first overpass at a certain angle, I guess actually it's the second overpass if you're following counterclockwise around the track, if you hit the upper left corner of that, or sorry, upper right corner of that overpass at a certain angle, your car will pop through down onto the road below, and it cuts off a quarter of the track. So, oh. yeah, kind of thing you can only there. learn if you play for three hours straight. Exactly. <laughs> nice, good, good choice. Um, so, Mike, how are you going to round? I've been trying to guess. Load Runner, I figured would be on your list, but I'm trying to figure out what will be the next one. Um, so, what are you picking for your fifth and final game? This is this isn't a direct tie to the Apple II games, so. Um, but I am choosing Afterburner by Sega AM2, released in 1987, um, featuring a Sega X-Board arcade system and pseudo 3D sprite scaling, sprite scaling graphics. Easy for me to say. And when I first saw this, um, I first saw this game in a laundromat uh, on, a, on a military base that, I, that my father was stationed on, and it was one of the big environmental cab, uh, environmental cabinets where you would actually sit down and the the cabinet would move and kind of rock back and forth and lean forward and back and obviously didn't do 360s no matter how much I wish it would have but uh, and the reason that it caught my eye was because I was such a big fan of EA's Sky Fox from 1984 which was 
sort of a, a flight simulator that had a, the similar uh, out from the cockpit view and your and your um, things are flying at you and you're shooting tanks and stuff like that on the ground. So uh, it was a, kind of a natural for me to pick uh, Afterburner as a game that I would keep coming back to over and over. And uh, I've talked about uh, on other No Quarter episodes how what a fan I was of the Firefox Laserdisc game. And that came out in 84 and it's part of the big Laserdisc boom that kind of happened right around then and they, they all started showing up in, in arcades at about the same time and a week and a half later when every single Laserdisc game in the country had broken down several times and they were being pulled out I didn't really have a favorite flight simulator until I found Afterburner and um, in 1992 it became even cooler for me because it was the game that uh, young John Connor slash Eddie Furlong was playing in the arcade when um, when Robert Patrick was walking around the mall looking for him showing people pictures and asking in a not at all creepy voice, have you seen this boy? Um, so I'd like to give him some quarters to play for free. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so my choice is 1987's Afterburner from Sega M2 or AM2. You know, it was great that, that environmental cabinet and there's only, you, you have a speed control. I mean like low and high, right. And then you have the joystick, uh, where you just, and with a fire button on it, and that made you feel like you were flying. Like I thought after playing that, I could probably fly a jet airplane. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, and you're like, I could totally do a barrel roll. I could, you know, <laughs> and you're, and you're doing this, and I'm sure I could. Sure, no problem. Right, I'm not that good at driving, <laughs> so I'm sure I could not fly <laughs> a jet airplane. But when you're in that thing, you're totally convinced that you could do that. Yeah, that moving cabinet. that moving cabinet was amazing. Yeah. I, did any other games ever do that? I mean, I played a lot of Afterburner entirely because of that cabinet. I don't, I don't even like later games. I guess G Lock and like later games, but not classic ones that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. I bet it. I bet it was a maintenance nightmare. Oh god, yeah. I think it's hard to keep pole position up. What about this thing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, nice, good choice. Good, good choice. Excellent. Um, so, Thanks, Jeff, sir. what are you going to select for your final choice? Well, the good thing is nobody killed my list completely, so I actually have two choices left on this one list. Um, I will go with Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair, like, like for some reason, like some of the other ones on my list were game-changing, but it's still, that's not my theme. Um, and it's a game that I would play again, but I won't get very far in it. But still, that's not my theme either. But hey, it's a Laserdisc game. It's one of you know the first one that came out, so it it definitely had a draw to the arcade fanatics of the day. They would come in there, they would stand in line, they would wait you know five, six, seven people deep just to get a glimpse of Dirk running around and running into things or smashing you know getting blasted by fire or falling off the horse or uh, was there rolling getting rolled over by balls or am I, think, am I thinking Space Ace? There's scene it's in the, the Space Ace. Yeah, the, no, the black balls that went back and forth. You're yeah. right. Dragon's Lair, yeah. I think it was also in Space Ace, too. Uh, but I played it a few times, but at 50 cents a pop, I mean, really, I could, if I want to spend some money and play a game that I'm not very good at, I can actually play Q-Bird twice on 50 cents instead of Dragon's Lair once. But still, it, it's a great game. You know, people understand it. People realize it. That it was there and it had its uh, significant point in time, a significant moment. I hate that and, game. <laughs> yeah, and there's those too. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I just, say I am anti. Well, these are just games. Uh, they're not. They're not even games. They're like web pages. <laughs> it's like watching somebody else play. A clue to my theme: 
There's a. I hated it for a reason too. <laughs> okay, and that's that's the clue to my theme. If the people that you know, like the generation older than us, remembers where they were when like JFK was shot, and I think all of us remember like where we were when we first saw Dragon's Lair. Certain games. I remember the first time I saw Tron. The first time I was yeah. Certain cabinets. I know yeah. exactly yeah. where I first saw them. That'd make and a good yeah, show, actually. It was so so beautiful to look at, and we all mm-hmm. thought that was the future of games, and then we yes. all played it, and we were like, wow. <laughs> no, this, yeah, this is not the future. No. <laughs> it's an apocalyptic future. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> well, but still, good choice, Jeff. That's <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> so for um, my final choice, I've, I've selected four Atari games in a row, and you'll know that my theme is not old Atari games, because my next one is from Meadows Games. Breaking the trend, bucking it, one might say. I'm going to select Laser Command as my final game. So it's 1976 by Meadows Games. Now, this game you have basically an overhead view of a maze with divided into two sides, the left and the right. The sides mirror each other, the maze and the layout. And one side of the screen is yellow, the other side is green, but it's just from an overlay. It's a black and white game. Uh, Maybe I've got those colors backwards too. It doesn't matter. On each side are 15 tanks lined up along the edge of the maze. And it's a two-player game, and each player gets control of your 15 tanks. But you actually just have this little dot that is your player. And you can run your player into a tank, and then now that tank is moving. So you select the tank, you go into the maze, and the object is to try to blow up as many of the opponent's tanks as you can. At any time, you can press a button to get out of the tank you're in and leave it where it is and run over to another tank. So you're actually one at a time moving up to 15 tanks as we're battling in a maze against an opponent doing the same thing. So it's a great little strategic two-player game. It's basically like combat on steroids. Super, super fun. Has to be played two-player though. Um, There is no computer controller for this one. And since you can only control one tank at a time, if your tank gets blasted, then you're sort of just left standing there and you can't do anything until you can slowly run over to another tank while your opponent is moving like his or her tank to your end and maybe taking out a bunch of your reserves. So it's a super fun, really neat strategic game. Went unfortunately nowhere, wasn't marketed very well and was basically a flop, but it's but it holds up and it's a really fun game. So if you like Um, strategic maze games if you like combat type things Um, a lot of people haven't played this game but I strongly recommend it the thing is it has one of the most unbelievably ugly cabinets ever I mean it looks like it's made by Ikea (laughs) totally it's square bland plywood with uh, like a little round sticker on side art that most of the cabinets shipped without that. So it ships like just, here is a rectangle of plywood. There you go. It's just the ugliest, dumbest, I don't know. If they're attempting to make the game look as boring as possible, great marketing, guys. So that's probably the reason this thing never took off. Meadows did not know what it was doing when it came to cabinet design. But if you can look past that and you actually stood in front of those ridiculously elongated joysticks that stick up from the control panel straight up, worst air ergonomics ever but a really fun game and one that most people haven't heard of so i'm going to throw that on as my fifth choice laser command by uh meadows games 1976 any of you big fans of the game uh, they, Bob, you ever oh, own they, one of these totally 
Totally. No. So they tried to be hip. They tried to be <laughs> you know, hip with the word laser there. Right, this yeah, thing needs laser. Laser with a Z, by the way, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what this cabinet needs is more boobies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Help that thing out. So yeah, ter- terrible cabinet, ridiculous joysticks, but really fun little strategic maze game. So that is my last choice, and actually then rounds out the full um our draft. We've all selected our five. I thought we'd go one at a time now and see is there something that ties them together. A couple of us haven't might have themes. I'm still trying to think of what Rob's might be. So Rob, was there a theme? You selected Ten Yard Fight, Cloak and Dagger, Ace, Alice in Wonderland, or March and Maze, I guess we'll pronounce it, and King of the Monsters. All right. Well, first of all, I have to tell you that all these games came from the heart from me. So uh, for the, for my five games, and I, I had to move the order around a little bit to uh, uh, confuse what my theme was, but I have the uh, Ten of Hearts from Ten Yard Fight, I have the Jack of Hearts, which is Jack Flack from Cloak and Dagger, the Queen of Hearts, uh, who you eventually fight in Alice in Wonderland, the King of Hearts from King of the Monster, and the Ace of Hearts from Ace. My theme is the Royal Flush Arcade. <laughs> that <laughs> wow. is wonderful. Nice. Well I played. tip my hat to you, well sir. Played. Oh, that took, late. Hey, that's funny. <laughs> that took a lot of uh, codeine cough syrup to come up with. So. <laughs> that level of awesomeness just might send me into retirement. Holy <laughs> cow. Nicely played, Rob. We should have had you on the first one of these. <laughs> wow. Well, we actually, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we tried to have him on the first one, but his scheduling went up. But nicely done, Rob. Right. Um, so, Quinn, you chose Atari Football, which had been on my list joust mortal Kombat 2 teenage mutant ninja turtles and super sprint um and you've already told us that these are games that you played for free were there others that were on that list that you had considered uh no but i did actually have to remove hard driving from the list uh because that's also a game that i had uh played for free um and uh yeah the story there wasn't as good anyway so it's just as well that it got kicked off the list but yeah that was a uh, uh that was an audible at the last second due to the uh un- previously unexplained rule that oh you can't choose games that we used last time well you picked it last time <laughs> well you yes. definitely can't pick the same games again <laughs> right, this will be my theme next time too <laughs> <laughs> but just but you'll be a different suit <laughs> instead of hearts just kidding. Right. got a rough flesh in spades <laughs> my theme next time will be carrington's games right. yeah. yes yes I, I do. Carrington, I do have to tell you that I had uh, Bomb Jack, uh, Donkey Kong 3, which has the Queen Bee in it, <laughs> Jungle King, and Space Ace as backup. So I did actually have <laughs> alternate wow. choices in Just, case anything got oh taken. my gosh. You, you win this. I'm Rob, so I'm glad I didn't have to go with Space Ace, though, after the uh, cold Donkey Kong uh, treatment <laughs> that uh, Jeff got. <laughs> Well, next time um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to play to ruin Carrington's game, so I'm just going to choose all weird games from the '70s. Like, it's got wood paneling on it. It's on my list. <laughs> so, um, Mike, we know what your theme was. Basically, games that you associate with the Apple II. Were there? So, you picked um, Track and Field, Gauntlet, Choplifter, Load Runner. Oh, love Load Runner, but not in the arcade. And Afterburner. So, were there other games that you were considering? Like, if someone had snaked one of those, what would you have done? Uh, well, the, the only other game that, that I had immediately uh, ready to, to pull out and use as, as weaponry was um, Beachhead 
Two, which was an Apple II game, and 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 there was a there is actually a, a much more recent arcade game, the Beachhead Two Thousand, that has that that really awesome headset controller thing, uh, where you sort of stand in front of the arcade and rotate around in circles. But the two games didn't really have anything at all to do with each other, uh, as far as gameplay. They just shared the name, and I figured if if, if I needed more than that, then I would just start picking your games. <laughs> oh, always a good way to go. Yes. Nice. And so, Jeff, you selected Bowling, Cubert, Asteroids, Zaxxon, and Dragon's Lair, the, the ever-so-popular Dragon's Lair. So what was the theme? I, you're another one where I've been trying to think of it. I cannot figure it out. What is the theme that ties those together? My list is based off of machines that, in my capacity as an arcade tech, I had to fix. Aha. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Interesting. Asteroids. Um, one thing about asteroids is that you get screen burn in over time. I actually had to replace a monitor uh, because of the screen burn in. Cubert, uh, uh, the knocker, the knocker would go out, so I had to install one of those. I remember doing that. Zaxxon, the the flight stick would break. People yank and pull at that a lot, and you know, in the uh, frenzied action, and would break the sticks. So I had to repair that with a replacement stick from. Uh, who who was it made that Sega? Sega had to order a new one um, to to replace that stick, and that wasn't actually all that easy because there's a lot of complex stuff in there, especially with the the trigger switch and and everything. Capcom bowling, you'd be surprised how people get mad at playing that bowling game. They would punch their <laughs> fist through that roller ball and bust it clear through the panel. Uh, and yeah. on some of the games, especially if they were conversion kits would have an empty spot uh, where it looks like another rollerball may have been. I've actually had to repair where somebody punched through that because it, it's just the, 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 the sticker overlay. And so I ended up having to like fill that whole hole with a piece of wood and some you know putty or whatever to get there. So the next time they hit it, they'll bust their knuckles and not the game. And last one, Dragon's Lair. Well, the early Dragon's Lairs had a problem with their uh, laser disc players. And they would be notorious notoriously bad they would not work you we would try to clean off the the, the reader the, uh, the laser itself uh, clean the disc off had a top loading uh, laser disc player but eventually you just have to replace the player with another one that was sort of compatible as opposed so, to all those other laser games out there that had had, had stable no, and... <laughs> yeah the, the later dragon's larry's games had issues too and the, and the middle ones and the second ones and the third ones and all of them. <laughs> with the with the yeah. bowling game when you were repairing that hole um, and putting wood there did you then paint a hole like like um, roadrunner <laughs> style <laughs> to make them think there's... <laughs> i should have <laughs> no local roadway on this machine <laughs> the local bowling alley where I used to play Gauntlet actually had one of those Capcom bowling machines, which I thought was sort of an odd thing, unless maybe the, all the lanes were taken or you were just terrible at regular bowling. But I do remember seeing a lot of half-drunk people trying to play that Capcom game and just having these outbursts and banging the, the machine around. So, yeah, that, that story doesn't surprise me at all. Nice. Good theme. Yeah. I, had not, I had not figured that out. Nice. And you, and you hinted, too. You kept talking about repair stuff. So, ah, I did not catch it. So, for me, well, um, I... I'm sorry, on the list. I wasn't going to put Sorry Charlie, but I never actually experienced one that <laughs> fell over and caught fire. Oh, well, <laughs> there are only yes. a couple of those out there, man. They're, they're highly expensive, rare collectible items. <laughs> that would have been a hilarious choice. Um, so, for my, my 
choices. I picked the ever popular Gachi, 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 Gotcha, Bradley Trainer, Subs, Cops and Robbers, and Laser Command. I snaked all of those from you before you could take them. Go me. For my theme, uh, once again, I've gone with uh, a tiny little arcade that I would open that would have kind of a musical theme that would tie things together. Last time, it was an arcade where I would play only the music of sticks, and but none of the games would actually have sticks. They would none of them have joysticks. Here, I have decided to go with a black and white arcade. So all the games are black and white games, or originally released in black and white before cover or color overlays, which is why I had to specifically say first version didn't have them. Um, but I don't mean that the arcade games will all be black and white. I mean the arcade will. I'm going to paint the ball black and white. We're going to only play the music of Ska. I'm going to employ mimes because everyone hates mimes. So we get angry. You can beat on a mime. But the mimes will make change and they'll stand beside your cabinet and they'll act out your gameplay through interpretive dance. It's going to be a very popular arcade across the street from my Sticks Arcade. I'm going to open, open a chain of these things. It's going to be fantastic. So that is my theme. I can't believe none of you guessed it. <laughs> so... Yeah, good that, luck with that. <laughs> that brings us to the end of the second arcade draft. What a fun time. Thank you guys for and gal for joining us. It was fantastic. So thank you, Rob, for being on, I guess, for your second time on uh, No Quarter. Yeah, yeah. This is and second time on the show and first time I didn't have to share a pair of earbuds with Mike. <laughs> we didn't have weird. to. We were very, very close. Literally. <laughs> yes, very Aww. uncomfortably close. <laughs> and Quinn has also been on the show before and just recorded something on the show, but that as of this recording hasn't been released, but by the time this episode is published, it would have been released. So people have already heard it, even though your fellow participants on this episode haven't heard it. If you can so get your go. head around that. <laughs> All I heard was go me. <laughs> yeah. And that was the subtext of that. Go you. So thank you, Quinn, for joining us. My pleasure. And Jeff, thank you too for coming back for a second, uh, a second draft. I completely blanked on your theme well done you totally fooled me uh, nice you nicely done yeah of course yeah, I, and tough coming up with that theme it really uh, was. yes <laughs> it's all it's all about the theme so thank you to mr vintage himself so somebody took that oh um, right yeah well that was stolen by mike i'm waiting <laughs> oh okay well, where's my go. thank you carrington <laughs> and th- very good <laughs> Ascension in the ranks. <laughs> thank, thank you to Mike for being on his own show. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Thank you, everyone, for coming out and having a great time on, the, on our arcade draft. Yeah, that was super fun, guys. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Okay, so we are good to go. Um, Mike, do you want to do an intro thing? Do you want me to do it? How are we going to handle this? Want to make Rob do it? (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Oh, have we lost Mike? Uh Uh-oh, we've lost Mike. No, I'm back. Oh, he's back.
We <laughs> found very quiet, and I know that with Carrington here, it's, that's <laughs> never the case. So. Definitely a sign of trouble. <laughs> yeah, quiet Carrington. Something Uh-oh. is broken. You got to look. Something is oh, very, very. What's wrong. he gotten into? My parents learned that when I was a kid. Uh oh, Carrington's <laughs> quiet. Go find him. What's on fire? So we'll just count through and go one, two, three, four, five, six, etc. Um, let's go in order of say Rob, Quinn, Mike, Jeff, me, because then that's the order we'll record it. So take it away, Rob. One, two. Purple. <laughs> uh, five. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're all even. <laughs> Professional. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I forgot what came after purple. <laughs> <laughs> I can't count any higher than purple. It was fun. I'm already thinking of a theme for the next one. Let's go. Let's go. All boob controllers. All boob controllers. <laughs> <laughs>